Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you have joined us. Southeast Michigan is kind of a poster child for sprawl. It's a metropolis that's designed way less for people and way more for cars. And the development that has fueled that sprawl for decades continues to reach further and further into previously rural areas. We build and we build and we build, and the strain on services and on preservation of open services builds right alongside. As part of WDET's series, Crossing the Lines, we're looking specifically at stories from Canton Township and how they relate back to all of us here in the metro Detroit region. Years ago, Canton was known for its fields of sweet corn. But beginning in the 1970s, waves of housing development spread through the township, starting on the east side. Now, we're seeing subdivisions grow on the west side of Canton. WDET's Laura Herberg takes a look at how residents and the township have responded to a recent effort to build houses next to a rural road that is certifiably beautiful. This is the beginning of Ridge Road. Canton resident Dick Dion turns off of Warren Avenue and onto a gravel road. The narrow street passes the occasional driveway, but mostly it's lined with the bare branches of trees. In the summer, once the leaves leaf out, in this area we would be in a tunnel because there would be greenery to the side and completely over our heads. And up ahead of us is the official sign that designates this as a natural beauty road. Natural beauty roads were created by a state act in the 1970s to highlight roadways with extensive native vegetation. In the early 1990s, residents living around here banded together in an attempt to designate four gravel thoroughfares in the area. They spent time walking up and down each one over the span of a year, carefully detailing the flora and fauna. They found 140 kinds of animals, birds, and insects, and more than 120 types of plants, including 14 that are protected. The residents documented their findings and presented them to relevant townships in Wayne County. Their hard work paid off. Natural beauty status was granted to all four roads, including Ridge. Dion says he's grateful for the designation. There is still, I think, a rural feeling to part of the area. But some of Dion's neighbors are worried that rural feel might be threatened. That's because Pulte Homes has been acquiring land located off of Ridge Road. Part of the land is zoned rural residential, which means a maximum of one house every two acres. A change in zoning has been requested to allow for twice as many homes. That modification requires a public hearing in front of the Canton Township Planning Commission. All right, we've got a, a motion to open the public hearing. Northwest Canton resident Donald Garlett steps up to the podium. He says he and his neighbors are worried about how development could impact the unique road. There are only three miles of natural beauty roads in Wayne County. There are only 200 in the entire state, and we don't want to see those degraded. Placing more subdivisions in this area of the township will result in more traffic. Richard Rao shares the longest common boundary with the property in question. He says he moved to the area in 1991 because he wanted to live somewhere rural. We have llamas right now. We have chickens. We have roosters that crow. 
that might bother neighbors if they get too close. In 1990, roughly half of Canton's land was agricultural or vacant, according to the township. In 2008, that number dropped to roughly 10 percent. While agricultural and vacant land decreased, the number of houses and residents increased tremendously. Between 1970 and 2010, more than 31,000 homes were built in Canton. At the same time, its population increased by 718 percent. Resident Junie Morrow says the result is impossible to miss. We're covered with subdivisions all over the place. After several residents speak, the public hearing closes and the planning commissioners deliberate. Here's Commissioner Don Zuber. We hear these kinds of statements pretty much every time we're asked to consider a new development in an area which is surrounded by people who already live there. And it's always challenging for us because as humans, as your neighbors, we we hear what you're saying, but as planning commission members, we are limited to what we can actually consider. Basically, because the proposed zoning change is in line with the township's master plan, and because there are already subdivisions located near the property, the planning commission pretty much has to allow the zoning change. If not, they might open the township up to being sued by the developer. Commissioner Zuber, would you call the vote, please? Certainly. All eight commissioners present vote in favor of the zoning change to allow for more housing. If residents living by Ridge Road want their area to stay rural, they can voice their opinions at hearings for Canton's master plan. The document will be reviewed in 2022. Until then, the master plan is supposed to guide land use in the township. Looking at the plan online, I realized that it depicts a future Canton that won't have any agricultural or rural land. So I meet with Canton Township Supervisor Pat Williams to ask him about it. Great. And I don't know if you have a, a master plan nearby. Is that right on top? There we go. Great. Yeah. So tell me why you want to, why the plan is to do away with uh, agriculture and um, rural residential land. There's, there's not a plan to do away with it. Um, the mar- we're the looking market, at it right uh, now. Okay. So Canton Township, by design, is not intended by our master plan to be a rural community. We are an extension of suburbia, and the lowest density areas that are left in the community, according to the master plan, are the are the R1, one home per acre. Are you worried at all about the loss of those natural spaces? No, I, it's not a, a loss. I, I have uh, behind me still 14 acres that has yet to be developed. I know someday I'm going to wake up and I'll be looking at a home very similar to mine behind me. But in the meantime, I've got deer and coyote, you know, they travel through every day. And yes, I enjoy nature, uh, but it's, it's, it, is, it is disappearing in Canton Township. We'll continue to. Williams says as long as there's demand, housing will be built in Canton, at least until the township runs out of space. But he says there's still room for compromise between developers and homeowners who move to Canton for its rural feel. We encourage anybody that's looking at developing a property to talk to the neighbors that surround it before they go public with their plans. And in almost every instance where the developer works with the neighboring communities, they come up with agreements. Pulte declined to comment for this story, but Williams says based on meetings he's had with the developer, he believes Pulte will be reaching out to residents living around Ridge Road 
and will likely offer to plant additional native trees. The next step in the process is for Pulte to submit a site plan review to the township. Construction of the new homes likely won't start until 2020. I'm Laura Herberg, WDET News. And thanks to Laura Herberg for that really great report about this tension between development and open space on the west side of Canton. When we come back, we're going to continue the conversation about what's going on in Canton with Jeff Goulet. He is a community planner for Canton Township. And of course, we want to hear from you. What do you think about the way in which we spread out here in Metro Detroit, the development that drives sprawl? Is that good? Is that a sign of economic health? Or is that something we ought to be reining in? 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. Welcome back to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. We are talking today about sprawl and the tensions between development and the ever-decreasing amount of open space that we have here in Metro Detroit. We just heard a wonderful report by WDET's Laura Herberg about that tension as it plays out in the city of Canton, where on the west side of the city, All of a sudden, we're starting to see developments where open fields used to be plans for even more development that will suck up open space. We want to hear from you this hour as well. What do you think about the way in which we develop here in Metro Detroit? Of course, the suburbs are all products of sprawl, I suppose, and certainly of development. Is that sprawl a healthy thing for our region, or should we be concentrating more on creating denser places, places that uh, feature more walkability and sustainability from an economic perspective. If you want to join the conversation, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phone. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. And we'll work you into the conversation. And joining us now to talk more specifically about what's going on in Canton is Jeff Goulet. He is the community planner for Canton Township. Jeff, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. So I I first want to get your response to what we just heard in Laura Herberg's piece about this debate in Canton around allowing development to move further out into previously undeveloped lands. What, uh, What was your reaction? Well, I think, you know, there needs to be a little bit of perspective about what's happening in the region. And I think, you know, the, the term sprawl is is a relative term, and it means something different to a little bit of everybody. Mm-hmm. You know, I've been a planner for 36 years. Uh, I've been with Canton Township for 26 of those years. You know, the, each community has to determine kind of its, its what it wants to be in the future, um, you know, back in the 90s, you know, the the planning commission and the board determined that you know, realistically on our master plan, at some point in time, we weren't going to see a whole lot of agricultural land left. Uh, so you, you have to look at, you have to kind of project out into the future and, and one to look at economic realities, plus also look at what your community 
wants to be in the future. So you have to plan for that. And from a sprawl's perspective, sprawl generally, from a planner's perspective, is unplanned growth. So in Canton, we've been growing very, you know, some years very rapidly, some years not so rapidly, but moving from the east part of the community where it's more dense to the west part of the community where it's less dense. You know, the east part of the community near 275, we have densities that range from 8 to 10 units per acre. That's where a lot of our apartments are. That's where a lot of our higher density is. That's where, you know, a lot of the commercial on the Ford Road corridor is. As we move to the west, you know, those, those densities decrease basically mile by mile. They go down, you know, you know, and decrease in density, you know, to where we get down to one unit per acre at the very west end of the, the, the township. And it's not dissimilar to what's in Plymouth Township and Northdale Township at their western boundaries, which we, we align with. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we're seeing now is we've got a lot of the larger pieces of agricultural land are, are all gone other than some land, you know, down in the uh, southwest portion of the township, south of Gettys Road, where a farmer actually bought a piece of property back from a developer that, you know, during the recession kind of gave up that land, and he's reestablished, you know, a large farm on that property. Um, You know, the the story kind of focused on Ridge and Warren Road. Several years ago, we approved a church on that corner. You know, and we talked to the neighbors at that time about what the church was going to do and what the traffic was going to happen on, on Ridge Road. Years before that, a charter school was proposed on that, and the township denied the charter school due to lack of public facilities to support it at that point in time. And that charter school ended up going down to Ford Road and Ridge Road, where now they've created a huge traffic problem down there, which we're now you know, coordinated with MDOT to fix. Mm-hmm. And that was done through a court uh, you know, process because you know every, every piece of land that the charter school chose we came up with reasons to deny it. So we finally got into a lawsuit, you know, over the whole thing. So this piece at Ridge and Warren has kind of, kind of been sitting there, and uh, Pulte, you know, is in the process of, of going through their due diligence and putting plans together. It's about 36 acres on the corner, right. um, you know, that, that has some woods and some wetlands on it. Uh, so they're going to be coming in and, what we, and do what we call a plan development or a PUD type of development, where they're going to save all of the natural areas in there, they're, they're going to propose to kind of revegetate that area of Ridge Road over the Natural Beauty Road where there's not a whole lot of trees in that particular section. So one of their benefits is, is we've encouraged them to come up with a naturalized planting plan for the right-of-way area uh, along Ridge Road to help enhance areas that are right. further north so, along Ridge so, Road. So, I mean, you're thinking about this tension between development and open space. But I guess one of the questions is whether... Uh, whether growth is fueling development or whether development is fueling development for development's sake, right? I mean, I think that is one of the sort of key questions when we talk about development versus sprawl. Are we building to accommodate demand for more housing, uh, it, you know, uh, that, that, that we need to accommodate people who want to live in a community, or are we building and and sort of pushing the boundaries out further and creating less density further in. Well, you know, you know, part of it has to do with where people want to live and and where and and what type of housing they want. So I think from a demand standpoint, the market kind of, you know, drives a lot of that demand in terms of where people want to be and you know, right. the builders and developers respond to that. Okay, but that um, that's that's the that's the market and that's the economics of it. Right. But as a community planner, 
I, I think you have a higher calling there, right? It's not just whether there is demand for the housing. It's whether that housing and the demand for it fits into the plans for that community. In other words, if you right. are creating new housing that's emptying out other housing in Canton or in neighboring cities or townships, isn't, isn't that one of the things that you ought to be sort of taking into account? Well, I mean, we can't drive what the market is. You know, our plan basically is, is, is a plan for future development. It goes out many, many years. Uh, you know, since the 1990s, when we kind of reestablished a new master plan after I started with Canton Township, you know, we kind of recalibrated where the community's at and where we needed to go. That master plan, you know, gets evaluated every five years by the Planning Commission, and we make minor adjustments here and there to the plan, uh, you know, to, to, you know, look at what the land use patterns are, what the trends are, to see whether we need to make some minor modifications here and there to make things fit a little bit better. Uh, but, it, you know, over the past, you know, 26 years since I've been here, that master plan has changed very, very little. Probably the biggest change we made to the master plan was back in the late 90s when we established a square mile in the Cherry Hill Village area around the historic hamlet, and we did create additional density in that area to basically promote kind of village style, you know, higher density style development in that particular area. Uh, so we were very specific in terms of targeting what area we wanted to allow more development in. One of the things that we also have to look at is what our what our water and, and storm and water and sewer systems can support and what our roads can support. Mm-hmm. As a township, we don't control you know, road improvements. That's, you know, Wayne County's responsibility. So there's limitations on how much traffic those roads, uh, you know, can control. There's limitations on what we can require developers to do in terms of road improvements. Uh, In terms of our water and sewer system, our land use plan kind of ties directly to our our master, uh, you know, sanitary sewer uh, master plan. So that we can, you know, so we only can accommodate, you know, a build out of so much based on our sewer capacity. You know, we have, there's capacity, in, you know, in the in the pipes underground, and there's also capacity we have contracted, you know, through the you know sewer authorities for treatment of that sewage. So we can't allow, you know, higher density in the in the community than what we can support with infrastructure. So it's a balancing act between what the land use and the land use pattern should be and what you can support with it with, pub- with public infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So, so that's what we try to do from a planning perspective is, is try to balance that out and make sure that what development does occur happens in a very orderly fashion, that when new development comes in, it's compatible with adjacent development, and that we try to, you know, you know almost all of our new developments preserve a lot of the native and nat- natural spaces within it. Mm-hmm. We, we encourage clustering so that, you know, the entire property isn't obliterated right. and just destroyed. We try to save, you know, a good portion of those sites to, you know, retain those natural elements in those sites. Mm-hmm. Uh, my guest is Jeff Goulet. He's a community planner for Canton Township. We're talking about the developments that are being proposed and maybe taking place on the west side of Canton, which is the far side of Canton from the metro area, at least. Uh, We're talking more generally about the idea of development, the way in which we have spread out here in southeast Michigan and in metro Detroit. Uh, All of our suburbs, of course, are products of that development. Some people, though, say that we suffer from sprawl, the idea that we just keep spreading and spreading things 
thinner in terms of support for services, in terms of density. Uh, is there another way to think about these things? Is there a way to emphasize the idea of density? Is there a way to emphasize the idea of walkability and sustainability in the suburbs in a way uh, that pushes back against the development craze? As always, uh, we would love to hear from you. Uh, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's get to some of the callers here. Leslie in Hazel Park. Leslie, you're up first. Yes, thank you. I used to live in a place called Armada, which is north of Utica. Mm-hmm. And I lived on a, a street that was uh, had seven, mi- seven houses on a three-mile stretch. And it was you could had the deer, the the all the uh, the birds, uh, woodcock, turkeys, pheasants by the dozens, and it was it was pristine. And when I hear the other gentleman saying, "Well, we try to do this and we try to do that, keeping green space in in our infrastructure." If he's on the planning commission, they don't have to try. They can demand there should be like a little park mm-hmm. at every so many houses, green space for the kids to play instead mm-hmm. of only their front yard in the street, yeah. which so, is exactly what it turns out to be with pulpy constructions. Hmm. Uh, Leslie, that, I really yeah. appreciate the call and your, and your comments. Uh, Jeff Goulet, you were talking about the ways in which you try to preserve that space is Leslie right though, that you should be demanding these things of developers. And is that the way it works? Well, you know, under state law, under zoning enabling act and subdivision laws, you know, local government has limited authority to mandate that developers create open space. What happens in Canton based on the way our ordinances are structured, there's an incentive for developers to use what we call our plan development option. Mm-hmm. With the use of the plan development option, it requires a minimum of 25% open space, common open space. And generally what we try to do is cluster those units away from the wooded areas and the natural areas so they can preserve those natural areas. And we also encourage them to create amenities within their developments, you know, park areas, you know, you know passive areas for you know, families and children to play in or whatever. It you know, depends on the type of development they're proposing and what you know, what type of, of buyer they're, they're, they're attracting. And so we work with them back and forth, you know, on the development plan. And there's somewhat of a discretionary process, and the Planning Commission and Board basically weighs in on what they feel the community benefits of that particular project uh, are going to be. And we have another project coming in that we're going through final approval on, uh, next next Monday called Park Creek of Canton. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was a site at Gettys and Beck Road that was planned many, many years ago and never got developed. So now the current developers picked up the remainder of the land. Uh, you know, it has, you know, the Fowler Creek runs through it, so there's a large floodplain, and there's some wetlands on the property, and there's a big piece at the corner that they're proposing, like a nine-acre piece that they're proposing to, to, to use as a community park for their development. They're also creating... Uh, walking paths to get access to the, you know, to the to the river and through their native and through the other common open space areas, they're preserving over 45% of of that development in open space. 
so they're still retaining the density that's allowed under their under the master plan and the base zoning that they have, but they're clustering the units and they're you know, creating a lot of amenities for their community, uh, and they're also doing some traffic improvements as part of the plan development. They're going to be improving, you know, Beck and Getty's Road by improving the signalization at that intersection to make it uh, safer and easier for people to get through the intersection. So those are the benefits that we can, uh, you know, obtain by use of our plan development option. It gives them the flexibility to get the kind of product that they are looking for, but it also gives us the opportunity to negotiate uh, with the developer on what the best community benefits for the project can be. Again, Leslie, thanks very much for the call and the questions. Let's go to Krista in Plymouth. Krista, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, thank you for taking my call. Um, So this whole topic makes me so sad. (laughs) I live in Plymouth, right across from the Canton side at uh, Beck and Ridge and um, on Ann Arbor Road. And Canton, I I avoid Canton at all costs. The Mm. traffic is so, so bad. I won't shop there. I won't eat there. It's it's just to, to add more subdivisions to that beautiful um, natural beauty area is just, it's just sad. Plymouth is fighting the same issue at Ridge um, and Ann Arbor Road where they want to put high-density housing. And again, in in Cherry Hill Village, I have several friends that live there, and I think that was just, um, it it is not what it was intended to be. There are no uh, restaurants and shops there like it was intended it was i just don't see this is a good idea at all so krista i you know one of the questions i always have and and i really appreciate uh, you sharing your your perspective but what do you think we ought to be doing about this i mean we've we've built up the metro area in a way that it favors this kind of development Uh, someplace like plymouth as you say is facing the same kinds of pressures and tensions as Canton Township, how do, we, how do we fix that? Is it just a matter of pulling back from more development, or is there something you would like to see us do to make the developments we have a little better and easier to, to navigate? Well, I, I think when I, I mean, people want to move in back into downtown Plymouth area because everyone's fixing up the homes and and making it a community to want to come back to. And Canton, really, um, the the older neighborhoods aren't being um, fixed up, and so people want to just continue to move out because they don't want to go into the the older neighborhoods that continue to to just kind of deteriorate, in my opinion. And like I said, the the, the traffic is so horrendous. Most people I know won't even go go south to Canton. They go they go north to Plymouth or Northville or Novi because the the, the traffic is unbearable in, mm. in Canton. Yeah. Krista, I really appreciate the call uh, and the comments. Jeff Goulet, I want to hear you react to what she's saying about the fact that she won't go to Canton because of the crowds and the the, the difficulty uh, getting uh, getting around does this development on the western edge of the township does that make this well, worse? 
Well, I think the traffic she's talking about is really the Ford Road corridor traffic there mm-hmm. that's basically you know, near the freeway. You know, Ford Road has been an issue for Canton Township a long time, you know, under uh, Supervisor LaJoy and now currently under Supervisor Williams. Uh, one of the things they've tried to do is, is work with MDOT to get money to basically improve Ford Road to take care of traffic operations. Traffic is a, kind of a two-edged sword. One, to have a vibrant commercial area like Ford Road is very, very vibrant. We have a lot of businesses that want to be there, and we still have a lot of businesses looking to locate in Ford Road. But they need the traffic to main, to basically be there. If there's no traffic there, the businesses aren't going to be there. So that's also a balancing act. It's all always a balancing act. Uh, one of the things that Canton Township residents did last year is they passed a, a road improvement millage. So part of that road improvement millage is basically going to be directed towards Ford Road. Part of it is going to be directed to improving uh, neighborhood roads in our older subdivisions, and part of that is going to be focused on improving uh, mainline county roads and you know in, co- in, in in cooperation with the county. So one of the things that was going to happen with Ford Road is that MDOT is putting finally their money where their mouth is. We're making a participation with our road millage money towards towards Ford Road. And they've just hired a consultant to basically design the boulevard, which will help traffic operations uh, along Ford Road. Uh, you know, Ford Road will probably be totally rebuilt from Sheldon Road all the way to the freeway. And along with that, they'll also be improving Haggerty Road, uh, which is the worst uh, or the, you know, the biggest crash uh, intersections in, in the southeast Michigan area. Mm. And with those improvements, that'll help traffic to move smoother. It'll help safety along Ford Road. It'll help Ford Road stay a vibrant area to help move traffic a little bit better. Uh, this this year, you know, Wayne County has also got, you know, improvements through their normal traffic improvement plan. And uh, for Canton Township, Cherry Hill Road will be rebuilt and widened out from Canton Center to Haggerty Road. Uh, the township is doing improvements as part of its road millage program to improve uh, Salts Road and Hanford Road, along with doing a lot of maintenance within uh, the subdivision plan. So, as part of that additional, you know, money that Canton Township, you know, voted to vote in, then we can leverage additional county money. We can, addi- you know, leverage additional state money for road improvements to help a lot of the things that have been, you know, bugging the the residents for a number of years. Okay. All right, Jeff Goulet, community partner, community planner in Canton Township. Thanks very much for joining us here on Detroit Today. Okay, thank you very much. Up next, we're going to continue this conversation. We're going to speak with the author of a new book called Radical Suburbs, which looks at experimental communities in American suburbia. Also, tune in tomorrow. Daryl Woods is a Detroit man who spent 29 years in prison. He's going to join me to talk about that experience and about rebuilding his life now that he is out. An old friend of mine joining us to talk about his experiences. And we'll hear with Dr. Ruth Gilmore, a prison abolitionist, about why she thinks it's time to scrap our corrections system altogether. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.
Welcome back to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. We're talking about sprawl today, sprawl and development, the ways in which we have spread out here in southeast Michigan, all of the suburbs that have cropped up in that development. Uh, When does that development, though, become sprawl, the idea of extending the metro area further than we should from a sustainability standpoint, from a density standpoint, maybe from a walkability standpoint, when you think of the ways in which people want to live in communities. I want to welcome another voice to the conversation now, and this is a voice that has a kind of pushback position against the idea of sprawl. Amanda Coulson Hurley is a writer who specializes in architecture and urban planning, and she's a senior editor at City Lab. She is author of the new book called Radical Suburbs, which looks at experimental communities in American suburbia. Amanda Coulson Hurley, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks for having me. So you were listening in to the conversation I had with Jeff Goulet of Canton Township's planning department. What was your reaction to what he had to say about how they are handling this push, this rush to keep developing on the western edge of that township? Uh, He seemed to be saying that uh, demand is what drives development and that the planning commission really is there to, to, to kind of facilitate that demand, not so much shape it or determine whether it's even necessary. Yeah, well, you know, from what he was saying, it seems like what's happening in Canton is pretty similar to what happens in a lot of places around the country. Um, you know, I live in the suburbs myself. I really like living in suburbia. Um, and I think, you know, the reason a lot of people move to the suburbs is it's wonderful to sit out and on your deck or in your yard and listen to the birds sing and watch the leaves fall from the trees. But, um, you know, the paradox is that everybody, uh, everybody enjoys that. So, <laughs> you know, there's this stampede of people, uh, you know, wanting, wanting to live in that more kind of natural or pastoral setting. And of course, it's, uh, you know, it's that very growth that compromises the, the beauty or the quality, um, of, of that nature around you. So, uh, you know, with traffic, um, uh, with more houses uh, around you and uh, you know, uh, more development and construction. So that's kind of the paradox. Um, in terms of demand, I mean, I think it's it's true that a, a planning department, uh, you know, can't, uh, uh, you know, that planners don't uh, shape the market, right? I mean, they can't, the, you know, people, there is a market demand and people do have preferences for certain types of housing. But I think um, my kind of reaction was two things. First of all, I mean, I think there are ways to try to balance, uh, uh, you know, demand or, or especially, you know, home builders, you know, know certain types of models that um, uh, might sometimes come into tension with what existing residents want in terms of preserving more natural beauty. And there are ways that planners can kind of try to balance that. I mean, in the county where I live in, Maryland, Actually, my county ha- has set aside an agricultural reserve hmm. uh, that's quite large on the outskirts of the county for this from this nearby city. And they set that aside a few decades ago. And the idea was that this is always going to be uh, a fairly undeveloped agricultural uh, and, and, and uh, a nature-dominated uh, tract of the county. Hmm. And that has worked quite well. And then, meanwhile, they kind of have been trying to steer development 
you know, closer towards the, uh, you know, the urban areas and into a somewhat more dense kind of nodes or a dense kind of town centers. And that's something that, you know, through a master plan with kind of smart growth principles, I mean, you can certainly do that well. I think accommodating most of, you know, home buyers' desires for, uh, you know, if, if they want new houses or if they want uh, uh, detached homes, I think you can, um, uh, you know, still go some way towards accommodating that. Yeah. Hmm. So, so in your book, uh, you talk about this idea of radical solutions to these density and sprawl questions that we face in the suburbs. Um, talk about what those what those ideas are and how communities might move toward that kind of decision making. Yeah, well, so the book is uh, really mostly about. Um, kind of experimental suburbs of the past. And I, I look at these communities in uh, the 19th century through the kind of mid-20th century that uh, were founded in suburbs, you know, because the founders, you know, had their own particular ideas about urban planning and architecture, or they, or they were founded by communities that had sort of unorthodox values. There were uh, religious sects and uh, anarchists and all sorts of interesting people settling these in the suburbs that, you know, have sort of been forgotten. But um, I do look at, at some of those communities and kind of try to draw lessons for today or, or ideas for today. And, and um, one of those ideas, yeah, it kind of concerns density and the fact that some of these past suburbs were actually quite a lot more dense than the ones that we're familiar with now. Um, and uh, one of those, one way to increase that that I think is very promising is by letting people who live on larger lots build a second house, you know, really in their backyard, like a smaller house. Uh, this is sometimes called an accessory dwelling unit. And that's a really great way for, you know, an individual homeowner to, uh, you know, to get more use out of their land. I mean, they own it. They should really you know, they should probably have the right to do what they want with that land, right? <laughs> um, and, you know, they can build this house, um, and uh, that gives them some rental income, which is great if they're, especially if they're on, you know, Social Security or something like that. Um, and then it, it also, it provides more housing, often, uh, you know, housing that's a little bit more affordable than a large standalone house. Um, and then it also helps neighborhood, it helped, you know, absorb some of that growth that otherwise would be happening further out in those areas of natural beauty and agricultural areas. So it kind of keeps, you know, it keeps the growth in existing areas rather than pushing it out to sprawl further. Hmm. Uh, what, what are the things that you would recommend for communities now to try to recapture some of these things that you say have gone by the wayside. I mean, uh, walkability is is a word that we hear a lot uh, in urban planning right now. Uh, is that some of the thing? Is that something that that suburbs can use as a way of guiding better decision making? Absolutely. And I mean, earlier in this discussion, we were talking about demand, and I, I know the, uh, the planner mentioned it too, and. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the things that, you know, we're seeing uh, in a lot of parts of the country and also in surveys, especially of younger home buyers uh, and millennial home buyers, is that uh, more and more of them are saying they would trade 
having a bigger home, you know, with more square feet or more bedrooms. They would rather than that, they'd, they'd rather be, uh, close, you know, closer to certain, uh, uh, you know, to like a village center or a town center. And they'd rather be able to walk, uh, to things, walk to a coffee shop, um, you know, walk to the town library or, uh, to the movie theater, something like that. So, um, I think people's preferences are shifting. And um, I think that, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, planners would do well to sort of anticipate some of these shifts. And um, that's, to me, I think another argument for kind of trying to steer some of that development into or, or near, you know, existing areas. I know that the planner was mentioning there, um, there, there is this kind of village area that they had tried to uh, to kind of steer some denser development toward, and that sounds like a good, a good idea. And I think that if people, uh, you know, if people in the community want that, I think, you know, the, the answer, unfortunately, and I say unfortunately because it's not the way you want to spend like a Tuesday night, but is to go to the, go to the public meetings <laughs> and make your voice heard and, and make sure the planners know what you want. Uh, again, three one three five seven seven one zero one nine is the number on the phones. We've got a lot of folks queued up there. Uh, a on Twitter though says, "I think future generations will look back and wonder why suburban communities like Canton are adopting 1950s planning solutions in 2020. We have tools like smart growth, mixed use, LID, UGBs. I don't know." what those uh, acronyms are for, uh, to put land to highest best use without promoting unsustainable sprawl. Lauren on Twitter says, traffic is crappy everywhere in western Wayne County suburbs. I live in Canton, and I don't like Ford Road either, but it's not any better in other communities. Let's uh, get to some of the callers here. Uh, David in Gross Point, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Hey. Hi, how are you? Good morning to you and your guests. Uh-huh. Um, I think this is an important topic. What I wanted to bring up was uh, I live in Gross Point, and you know, say what you will about Gross Point, that's not really the issue. But the, the one thing that's particularly noticeable about that community being an inner ring, ring suburb is that it's walkable. You can ride your bike, you can push a stroller, you can walk your dog. There's more mileage of, of walkable sidewalks than most people can even handle. You can walk to the bus stop. You can walk to, you know, local shopping, et cetera, et cetera. And I think that the, you know, the the concept of walkability that is sold by the developers really doesn't happen. For example, I have uh, some family members that live in, quote, a walkable community in Ann Arbor, but you're landlocked by roads like Packard Mm. and Eisenhower and so forth and so on. So you can walk around the block 20 times if you want to consider that walkable, but it's not really a walkable design. And I think modeling communities after something similar to an area like Gross Point or, or others would make much more sense. Yeah. And I'd just uh, like you know to hear a response on that, and I'll be glad to take the answer off the air. Yeah, David, I appreciate the call and the, and the comments. Uh, Amanda, Gross Point is, uh, I think, uh, for our region at least, a really powerful example of how walkability uh, how green space, how low density, uh, I'm sorry, higher density sort of um, uh, planning uh, makes a suburb feel a little more like uh, living in, in a city. And I think what David's asking is why not sort of pattern so many other places that, that are not uh, planned that way after, after suburbs like that. Um, talk about some of the suburbs, some of the other suburbs that you think are 
uh, interesting examples of that kind of approach. Yeah, yeah, I thought that was a really great comment. And I, I, you know, just overall, I agree that uh, I think some of those earlier closer in suburbs make sort of great templates for what later (laughs) and and future suburbs, you know, could be. Um, I think the point that he made about how do you define walkability is really important because you can have uh, a whole lot of kind of ad hoc, unconnected new developments that are all internally walkable, but that's, you know, I mean, depending on what's in them, that doesn't necessarily make the difference that you want it to make because maybe there's, maybe there's a fitness center or a swimming pool or something inside the, inside the development. You can walk there. That's nicer than not being able to walk there. But really what I think what people want is to be able to walk outside their immediate neighborhood and walk to some of the sort of, you know, bigger community features and amenities. Um, and uh, that's what really makes them feel like they live in a more walkable and, and somewhat more urban place. And um, so, yeah, I, a place like Gross Point has that. I mean, around where and I live outside of Washington, D.C., and we have a number of, of suburbs that have become very, I think, attractive, uh, especially to younger people because uh, they have that Alexandria, Virginia, um, has that in Arlington, Virginia, um, uh, Tacoma Park, Maryland, uh, which is near where I live, mm-hmm. um, and uh, uh, Baltimore, I think, has the suburb of uh, Roland Park would be one example. Sure, there. that's a neighborhood in uh, the city in Baltimore, yeah. That Right, yes, mm-hmm. yeah, although it's very kind of suburban in character. But, mm-hmm. um, and then outside of New York, I think, one thing that's very interesting outside of New York is some of the small towns around uh, in the Hudson Valley are now becoming quite popular as, as, as basically suburbs of New York uh, that you can access New York by train because they have these, they're not sprawling suburbs. They have these kind of very historic downtowns that people are really, people are really drawn to and they love the idea of, of being, you know, living close to this downtown area. Um, so, I, you know, I think that this, I see this happening all over the country and that people kind of are, you know, uh, I guess realizing the big gap between, uh, you know, the suburbs of the past and the mm. suburbs uh, that, uh, you know, have been built over the last uh, 30 years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I just thought that caller made uh, made a really good point. And um, if I don't I don't know, it, it's a it's a hard problem uh, to know <laughs> to know how to fix. But. Sure. Honestly, I think it would be really interesting to see if a county, uh, if a big suburban county actually, you know, hired a design firm and said, we want to figure out how to fix our street network so that we don't have all of these disconnected curving roads that make these self-contained islands. But, you know, how do we mm. kind of fix our roads so that we have like a, you know, a, a street grid again? Mm. Uh, you know, I, I think that would be um a really interesting and important step forward. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Big Frank on Twitter uh, reminds of the history of sprawl, uh, the the white flight uh, that came out of 
sort of our racist past here in in Detroit. And, and of course, that's not just a Detroit issue. That's something that uh, happened across the country. Baltimore, where I lived for many years, has uh, many of the same problems. You know, I wonder what you make of the influence of that history on the kinds of things that you're talking about now. Are these remedies for uh, the, the kind of white flight, uh, let's get away from urban neighborhoods, in other words, let's get away from black people, um, uh, is, is some of what you're talking about a way of pushing back against that? Yeah, I mean, white flight was a huge factor in shaping the suburbanization that happened in uh, uh, the middle and late 20th century. Um, and I think, you know, it still does have a lingering effect now, um, I think there's still a, a sort of mentality, b- because it was possible for so long for people to sort of move to a neighborhood where uh, uh, that, that seemed very, that was controlled and that was restricted in terms of who lived there. Mm-hmm. I think that has sort of, uh, you know, become part, unfortunately, part of American culture um, and, and people people do still do that. And, and uh, some places are still built that way. Uh, I think it's an incredibly negative. Um, uh, it's an, it's, a, it's an incredibly negative uh, uh, legacy in American life. And that we see in uh, the evidence of it is that now, um, you know, some suburbs, some suburban areas are actually sort of resegregating mm-hmm. and that, you know, mm-hmm. they had been, um, they had been quite white and then more people of color or, you know, immigrants started to move there, um, had a sort of, you know, uh, fragile diversity for a while. And then you get this pattern where well, you get more sprawl. people, yeah. right. Wealthier people who are often white then kind of do this leapfrog <laughs> sprawl right. where they kind of leave and go to some further out place, I think in search of a community that, uh, uh, you know, lives up to, certain questionable standards, I would say. But yeah, so I mean, I think it's still definitely a force that's at work. And I definitely do see uh, some of uh, the smart growth principles, um, you know, as kind of combating it, because if, you know, uh, if people live in more mixed communities, and that's, you know, it's kind of this also this trend of mixed use development, uh, which is increasingly what what people want and what the market is building in some cases. But people, I think, these days want to live somewhere often where, you know, they can live in a townhouse and maybe there's single-family houses nearby. And then there's apartments, and the apartments are over some stores that they can walk to. I mean, mm-hmm. that's kind of the model that uh, is, is uh, more lively and, I think, uh, more diverse and people... People increasingly enjoy that, but also it just can accommodate people with a wide range of incomes, with different sizes and structures of household, you know, um, everywhere from an elderly single person to a family with multiple kids to a a couple with one baby, say, you know. Mm -hmm. So I I think it it just inherently supports greater diversity, that model. Um, And, uh, you know, Uh, I mean, there's I mean, there's a lot more I could say about that. But, <laughs> right, but unfortunately, that, yeah. we are, of course, out of time. <laughs> uh, Amanda Colson Hurley, thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit today. My pleasure. Mm-hmm. 
Tune in tomorrow when I have a really great conversation with someone I've known a long time, Daryl Woods, a Detroit man who spent 29 years in prison before being pardoned by Governor Rick Snyder, who did it on his way out of the governor's mansion last year. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. We'll talk again tomorrow.